Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. One of our episodes this week was about tear gas. Uh, Sure was. Super fun. (laughs) Gas and those Girl Scouts. Yeah, some of the articles that I read about tear gas were uh, really frustrating to read because a lot of them, uh, not all of them by any stretch, but like there were there were several of them that were like, if they had just had tear gas during this anti-colonial uprising, they could have avoided massacring all of those people. <laughs> and I was just like, I can think of a third option that is neither tear gas nor massacre. And it is... Have you considered not having an oppressive colonial regime? <laughs> Maybe if you addressed that problem instead of dispersing the protesters with tear gas or weapons like firearms, like like there's that third option that you could go with. I It kept coming up over and over when people would be like, yeah, if only the British had had tear gas. Oy, oy, oy. No. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, If you're frustrated by my tone with that and are like, I can't believe you're sounding so political, I'm like, have you listened to our podcast so often talking about labor disputes and civil rights disputes and all kinds of people who were trying to say, hey, we would like some basic dignity or we would like to be paid fairly for our labor and not exploited. And so, so, so often that is what the tear gas was being used for to make those people go away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, right? Like it it's it's one of those things that I think is um particularly hot button and politicized at the moment because we are living in a time where every issue that comes up seems to cause people more often than not to immediately want to separate to their two camps and bicker over it. Mm-hmm. But like if you look at the science yeah. It's really hard, in my opinion, to be able to justify this as a rational and reasonable thing, particularly when you consider all of the instances you discussed uh, in the outline of just really, really improper use and misuse. Yeah. I read so many accounts um, as I and uh, they could not all make it into the episode. There was just no possible way. You could have an entire podcast. I keep doing these topics that could be an entire new podcast, an entire new podcast that's just COINTELPRO that's going to be 100 episodes long, an entire new podcast that's just going to be tear gas that's also going to be 100 episodes long. That was stuff like, you know, miners striking because they were being exploited and law enforcement using their entire stock of tear gas against them and then ordering more. And it's like, even if you take, like, the basic take of of this is safer than other techniques when used correctly, like, we're seeing over and over and over nationally televised at this point incorrect use of, like, people spraying tear gas directly into people's faces, (laughs) people launching tear gas grenades directly at people. Uh kettling demonstrators and then tear gas like it's yeah none of that is the correct way to use it if you believe that there is a correct way to gas people yeah we have gotten so far away from that initial idea of like it is 
a last resort before we resort to wep- to like physical weapons that are lethal. That's not even a part of the equation anymore. No. No. I feel like uh, we should never ever launch any of these this could be a whole series podcast on its own unless we um it make sure that you have a therapist standing by at all times because it makes you so angry and I worry. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I am not volunteering myself for any of these hypothetical, entirely new podcasts. Like, uh, that would be a job for someone else. Because um, just keeping our show going at this point is like, my mind is like, why is everything so hard? It's very hard. <laughs> One of the topics that we talked about today was Jacob Coxey and his army. Yeah. His army of protesters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I hope people do not mind that uh, I included as part of this a large chunk of his oration as he had written it. And the reason that I wanted to do that was because when I was researching this and I was reading it, I was struck by how very similar it is to discussions that we are having today, particularly mm-hmm. the quote about the rich only getting richer, the poor only getting poorer, and the middle class vanishing by the end of the century, which was intended to reference the 19th century. And yet, that same rhetoric is ever-present. Yeah, it's as we read that part in the studio just now, um, I resisted the urge to say, we are still talking about this when we got to that part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, um, in some ways, I was telling my husband last night, like, in some ways, it makes me so despondent because I'm like, we never solve our problems. We just cycle through them. And in the other, in another way, which is, again, maybe a Pollyanna way to look at it, part of me was like, well, we don't always solve the problems, but we do keep going. Uh, and hopefully it's getting incrementally better with each cycle. That is my hopeful take on it. That could change by the end of the day because I'm not in any sort of consistent headspace regarding our current world. <laughs> Could change within the hour. Could change right? within the finishing recording and going to eat lunch. <laughs> By the time I finish this sentence, I will need to call my therapist. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to talk about in relation to Coxie's army is uh, parallels that people have drawn to the Wizard of Oz, which sounds a little cuckoo. Have you heard yeah, of this before? I, I don't know this at all. So L. Frank Baum who nobody knew who he was at this point, was apparently one of the spectators at this march. And uh, there have been theories and interpretations of his book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, that suggest that he was really drawing from that experience and his knowledge of this march to inform the structure of his book. So the idea was that... um, the Tin Man represented industrial workers. The Scarecrow represented farmers. The Cowardly Lion represented William Jennings Bryan. <laughs> and the uh, the Wizard of Oz was the president. And that this and this is a really interesting thing. One thing that that people always use and go, no, no, this is absolutely here's the evidence, is that in the book Dorothy's shoes were silver. They were not ruby slippers like we see in the movie, and they correlate that to um, the the ongoing debate about the embracing of silver as a, a currency standard mm-hmm. over gold and how that all caused a rush on gold. And uh, it's an interesting theory. 
These mm-hmm. didn't come up until quite a ways after the book had been out. And I don't think that L. Frank Baum ever commented on them or was even alive when they, they started to arise. But it's an interesting thing to consider. Uh, I could see we're being part of a momentous event like that, even just as a bystander, particularly in a city where, like, the whole city was kind of um, enraptured in this moment of this march to the Capitol. Uh, might inform your later work, but we'll never know. As I, I had a, a wonderful professor in college who, uh, when people would talk about the author's intent, particularly related to uh, older literature, would say, the author's dead, so we can't ask him, and if he were here, he would lie anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, suggesting that, like, you know, you can interpret stuff however you want. You just have to make a solid case about it, uh, yeah. which is a, kind of a fun thing. So you could make that case that there are parallels there and that the book is somehow related to this moment in in protest history. Or it could be a coincidence. Or it could be a coincidence. Or it could have been a completely unconscious thing where he pulled from some concepts of, of that those ideologies of like wanting something that you needed to get from someone else. We just don't know. But I thought that was a fascinating thing. And it didn't really fit in the actual (laughs) episode. But I was so captivated by that concept that I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Uh, You know, literary interpretation is in and of itself a fascinating field and one that I really, really enjoyed when I was in college. That was really one of my favorite things about my literature degree. Uh, But then there are also times when I talk to people who are legitimate heavy hitters in that field. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm just a a dilettante. I'm out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it makes it an interesting way, particularly to relate in this case to history. So uh, if that gives you a moment of entertainment, I am delighted. If it doesn't, I apologize. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 